you for entrusting your children to our care. They'll be getting their own time of teaching that's suitable for their age. If you've got kids under four to nine and need some help there, we have a nursery downstairs in this building uh, down at the bottom of this stairwell. Hope that you will join me in 1 Samuel 3. We have been working our way through 1 Samuel this year, 1 Samuel 3. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the pew. And if you don't know where 1 Samuel is, the page number for the passage in the pew Bible is in the order of service. And then there's an outline on the back of the worship folder. When you got all that, you're going to be ready to go with us this morning. A couple of months ago, uh, Katie was awakened in the middle of the night by a low, rumbling noise. So she said, roll over. (laughs) Roll over. And I said, are you talking to me? As if there was someone else in the vicinity. Now, that's how she tells the story. Thank you for letting me share my side. Uh, When I said, are you talking to me? It wasn't, are you talking to me? Moi? Uh, No, it was like this. Are are you talking to me? Like, I'd been sleeping soundly, then I hear something that half awakens me, and I'm trying to figure out if what I'm, am I dreaming, or am I hearing Katie trying to say something to me? 1 Samuel 3, our text today. Samuel is awakened by a voice in the middle of the night, but he doesn't say, are you talking to me? Because someone is actually calling his name, Samuel, Samuel. What he doesn't realize right away is that it's God who's calling him. Now, if you've grown up going to Sunday school, I can just about guarantee 100% that you heard this story as a child. You've heard, well, at least that part of this chapter before, but there really is a lot more to the story, a lot more that you probably didn't hear in Sunday school or just don't remember, a lot more about the God who wants to make himself known, who wants us to know him personally. And there's even more than that in here, so it's good for us to spend some time in 1 Samuel 3 together. I'm just going to read it right through and actually sneak just a little into chapter 4 as well. So 1 Samuel chapter 3, please follow along as I read from God's Word. Now, the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel, and he said, Here I am. And ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. And the Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call, my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. And the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time, and he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore, therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. 
So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Samuel lay until morning. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. And Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, here I am. And Eli said, what was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you, and more also, if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. And then that, just that first line of chapter 4, and the word of Samuel came to all Israel. This is God's word, and it's the word for us today. Here's the, the theme for the sermon. The Lord will not remain withdrawn. He reveals himself through his word. Now, that might just be like statement of fact. Sure, I, I get it. But do you hear the hope, the promise in that word? The Lord will not remain withdrawn. He reveals himself through his word. And when I use the word withdrawn there, I, I don't mean to say that God is like extremely introverted, uh, socially awkward. It's just that, and you know this, sometimes God seems distant, seems removed, seems uninvolved with us. Well, we're going to talk about that in the first part of the sermon. Here's part one, a strained relationship. What does it mean when the Lord doesn't speak? What does it mean when the Lord doesn't speak? Now, we're just focusing on verse one here, which describes the conditions of that time. So back there, verse one, chapter three, now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli the priest. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. Now, you understand right away that that's not good. But before we consider why it was that way, I want us to look at something else here. When the author refers to the word of the Lord as being rare in those days, he's, of course, he's not referring to uh, the scriptures. They would have had Genesis, Exodus, and so on. Uh, as if there were, well, they just didn't have many copies in those days. No, the next phrase is parallel to the first and helps explain it. There was no frequent vision. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. Now, we tend to put word and vision in two completely different categories. We think, oh, word, that's a, that's a specific message, something that we could spell out, that can be written down, something you could study and analyze with the rational mind. We think vision 
is more, you know, like a mystical experience. It's, it's about imagery. It's not about, you know, cognitive content. Uh, the, and, and, and so the, the, the vision is an overwhelming spiritual encounter uh, that, that, that is beyond words. We, so we put those in two different categories, word and vision. But this, this verse won't let us do that. In fact, this verse says we need to hold these together. They are two dimensions of one thing, God's communication, God's communicating himself and his people. Or we could use a more theological word like revelation uh, when, when we speak of God revealing what is true, revealing his plan and purpose for us, revealing ultimately himself, revealing who he is. And this communication, this revelation is always for the sake of relationship, not just for knowledge, things that we know in our heads, but to know him, to know him in relationship. So verse 1 is something of a sobering state of the union, uh, we could say, between God and his covenant people. That They're just not talking. If you were a counselor and a, a couple, married couple, came in to see you and she says... I barely hear from him at all. Uh, he, I hardly ever see him. I mean, what would you think about that relationship? It's not good. Okay, so what's going on here? What's wrong with God and his people? Now, here's where we can get off course if we, if we read our own experience too quickly into the text without taking into account what's going on historically in, in the book. Now, we think, um, well, I really want to hear from God. Uh, yet he seems distant. So what's wrong with him? Why is he doing that to me? That's not what's going on here. This is uh, basically the same time period in Israel's history as we see in the book of Judges. Really, the book of Judges, again, between Moses and Joshua, the people are now in the land, um, but they have not yet reached the time where they will have a king. So we're still in that chaotic time period where they're being ruled by uh, judges, don't just think somebody behind a bench, but somebody who is administering justice in the land, not yet a king. But, but more significant here, if you know the book of Judges, it was marked by a, a spin cycle, or actually we could say a sin cycle, of, uh, of God's people who would, uh, they would forget God, they would, they, would, they would turn away from him to worship false gods, and then God would just sort of back away and give them over into the hands of their enemies. They would be oppressed. They would be, they would be suffering all kinds of uh, trauma at the hands of wicked people. And then they would cry, finally cry out to God, God, you've got to save us. You've got to help us. God would hear. He would step in. He would deliver them through a judge. Again, book of Judges. And they would then turn back to the Lord. And for a time, things would be good until it started all over again. And apparently, we're to understand that this is one of those many times where God's people had turned away from him, and so God had withdrawn because Israel had abandoned him. Now, there were, to be sure, and this is really important that we see in, in places like the book of Ruth and the beginning here of uh, 1 Samuel, there are still some faithful people like Samuel's parents, Elkanah and Hannah. Uh, but even Israel's religious leaders, like Eli and his sons, were corrupt. Eli himself was compromised because of the sins of his sons, Hophni and Phinehas. All that to say 
This strained relationship wasn't God's doing. This lack of communication wasn't God holding out on his people. By and large, they didn't want to hear from him. Again, by and large, they didn't want to hear from him, and so it was rare that he spoke, infrequent that he showed himself. In chapter 2, we saw one of those rare moments uh, when God spoke. An unnamed man of God, a prophet, appeared to announce judgment upon Eli and his sons, but then we don't hear from that guy again, that, that man of God. That situation is going to change with the coming of Samuel, his calling, his commissioning. But before we go there, let's think a little bit more about God's silence, his relative silence. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. Do we feel like we're living in that kind of time period in our own history? For those who have already given up on God, God's absence seems to just confirm their unbelief. Yeah, God's just an outdated superstition. We don't, we don't need Him anymore. And the faithful, those still believing, are tempted to waver when He doesn't seem to show up. He doesn't seem to speak. And, but we have to recognize that God may withdraw when He's been abandoned. And, he, and that may be His judgment over the people as a whole. Don't, don't, don't just think about your own experience, but understand when the people as a whole have abandoned God, we may, we may be living in times where the word of the Lord is rare. Listen to what the Lord says in a later period of Israel's history. This is from Amos 8, 11, and 12. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. That's a, a devastating word from the prophet Amos. And verses like that, those, and, and like this here in 1 Samuel 3 should make us uneasy, even afraid for how bad it might get when God pulls away. But the rest of 1 Samuel 3 should give us hope because it shows that God will not abandon his people indefinitely. He's going to break the silence and he's going to move toward them once again. That's our encouragement. So here's part two, an unfamiliar voice. What is the right response when the Lord calls your name? Now, that, that's just going right for the personal application there. The, and the typical application of the, our ordinary daily devotion or Sunday school lesson, you know, what, how, should we respond just like Samuel did? Okay, great. I, I think that's, we, we, we're going to get there. Uh, but first, I, need, I think we need, to, again, to appreciate what's going on back then in Samuel's day. Not only with Samuel, but with all Israel. So verse 2 and 3 again. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. So can you picture this? Eli, the priest, is old and blind. Night has fallen, which is fitting since, spiritually speaking, all Israel is in the dark. Oh, but, but, but the lamp of God has not yet gone out. The lamp of God has not yet gone out. And according to Exodus 27, or you can see it in Leviticus 24, the priests were responsible to keep the golden menorah lit in the tabernacle all night from dusk until dawn. So at one level, the fact that the lamp had not yet gone out just simply tells us, okay, this is taking place at night. All right. But it's also a way to remind us, all is not lost. Because this is the darkness 
just before the dawn. Verse 4. Then the Lord called Samuel, and he said, Here I am, and ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call. Lie down again. So he went and lay down again. And you know the back and forth. I'm going to skip ahead to verse 8. And the Lord called to Samuel again a third time, and he rose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak, for your servant hears. Now, we all love the part where the young boy Samuel is eager to serve, quick to respond to Eli's call. And then the surprise, whoa, whoa, it's God uh, who's calling? Who wouldn't be surprised? I mean, in the middle of the night, uh, the word of the Lord was rare in those days. But the author gives us a very specific reason there in verse 7 that I skipped over. Now, Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Now, that sounds a lot like, if you remember, I know it was two weeks ago that we did chapter 2, but that sounds an awful lot like the indictment of Eli's sons in chapter 2, verse 12. Now, the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. But this verse tells us, that Samuel simply did not know him yet. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And I think we can tell from the rest of the chapter, this is not uh, meant to be an account of uh, Samuel's conversion, like Samuel's getting saved here. No, this is about his calling to serve God as a prophet, the one who delivers the word of the Lord to God's covenant people. God is about to speak once more and restore their relationship. Though Samuel doesn't know this right away, uh, Eli, that, that it's God who's speaking to him, Eli has at least enough of his faculties left to figure it out. And I, I can just imagine that Eli and Samuel, once, once Eli realized, oh, this is the Lord. Okay, this is what you need to do next, Samuel. Samuel and Eli must have had two completely different experiences as they both laid down their heads that third time. Samuel maybe can hardly close his eyes. He's expectant. He's eagerly waiting. Wait, God is calling my name? God's the one who's calling. What does he want? What's he going to tell me? And while Eli settles in, probably realizing that God has moved on, moved, he's not going to speak to Eli anymore. He's going to work through the young boy in the next room. Now, we all like to read ourselves into the role of Samuel in the story, imagining our, we're going to be the one whom God called. But if we had lived back then, now there, there is, understand, there is application. If you were in, in Samuel's situation, we'll, we'll get there. But think about it. If you had lived back then, you and I wouldn't be Samuel lying in the tabernacle. We are out there among the people living in the darkness in the deafening silence as the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. Some out there who are desperately waiting to hear from God and some who couldn't care less. Maybe someone in this room will be the one that God calls in a special way to bring the next revival. I, I pray that it would be so. The odds are, frankly, that that, that person, if there's one person that God is going to use in a special way, is probably somewhere else right now. Someone, somewhere even more obscure 
more surprising than Mount Morris, Illinois. I know it feels like we're out there, but you know, somewhere even more obscure, more out there than Mount Morris, Illinois. But that doesn't mean we can't take something from Samuel here. Actually, from Eli's advice, go down, excuse me, go lie down, and if he calls you, if he calls you, you shall say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. Oh, there's a lot, a lot to, to, to chew on there, a lot just to, just to, to let that roll around in your mouth for a while. Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. Lord, you are my king. I am your loyal subject. Here I am. Here I am, like Samuel would say when he was called. Here I am at your service, ready to follow your command. Of course, that's the right response when the Lord calls your name. It's like we see in the New Testament when uh, Jesus calls some Galilee fishermen to be his disciples, Peter and Andrew, James and John. And what did they do when he called? They left their nets and followed him. The, virtually the same thing. They say, okay, Lord, whatever you say, that's what we'll do. Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. Say the word. We're with you. It's what you and I say when we're baptized. We say, okay, we're with you. I'm following you. I'm leaving all that old life behind. It's what we say when, I hope, when we open the Bible, uh, maybe every morning, speak, Lord, for, for your servant hears. I, I'm listening to you, God. Maybe, maybe that's a good way to start praying as you open your Bible each day. Or as you come to church Sunday by Sunday, God, help our Sunday school teachers, help the pastor speak, Lord, we're listening. We want to hear from you. Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. Now, that's, that's a beautiful lesson right by itself, and that's, that's typically where the, the children's Sunday school lesson stops, because, I mean, it's, it's good. It's a great story, but the chapter, the whole story, is a little bit more than those kids can handle, and in Samuel's case, I'm sure it was a bit of a shock. Verse 11, Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end, and I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned by, for by sacrifice or offering forever. Samuel lay until morning, then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. And Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli, but Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son? And he said, here I am. Eli said, what was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. This is part three. A hard message. Do we want the Lord's messenger to speak faithfully and fearlessly? Now, I'd imagine if, if uh, for most of us, if God called our name in the middle of the night, we'd, we'd be content if he just said something like, hey, sure, I can help you pick the right college to attend. Or, hey, don't worry, I'll make sure you have enough money to retire comfortably. That's, we, we would love for him to come and say something reassuring, uh, some words like that to us. When God called Samuel, he didn't tell him the name of the girl that he was supposed to marry or, or where to invest his money. 
the Lord was commissioning a prophet to bring a word of judgment against the unfaithful religious leaders of his day. We heard pretty much uh, the same thing from the prophet in chapter 2, but apparently now what's different here is the time is near. Both verse 11 and verse 13 say, I am about to do this, and we'll see that fulfilled in chapter 4 next week. Verses 13 and 14 repeat some of the things we saw in our last sermon. Eli's sons were condemned, the, these, these worthless priests, not, for their, not uh, entirely for their gluttony, their greed, their lust, but for the way all these things corrupted their ministry. These worship leaders were guilty of blaspheming God, and they had passed the point of no return. They, there could be no longer any sacrifice to atone for their sins. Now, we talked quite a bit about that last week. Now, I don't know how you imagined Samuel in the early, earlier part of this chapter. Did you think of him as a kind of a little guy toddling in to where Eli was sleeping? Uh, the text doesn't say how old Samuel was at this point, but it's hard to imagine him as a preschooler, uh, especially when we get to this part of the chapter. He has to be old enough to handle a detailed heavy message like this one, old enough to feel the weight and young enough to be afraid to tell Eli about it. I don't know, is he preteen, maybe early teens? And to Eli's credit, he says, okay, you just got to tell me everything God said. I, I, tell me all of it, every word, don't leave anything out. Eli already knows this is not going to be good. And I don't know if his final words are Eli being submissive or just resigned to his doom, but it seems right for him to say, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. I would imagine that if you're like me, you, we, we would love to have God speak in a new way, in a powerful way in our time. It seems that the, in, in one sense, the word of the Lord is rare. God, would you speak, would you show up? But what if, what if the first words out of his mouth were words of confrontation, even judgment? In one sense, this is always how the word of the Lord works. Yes, the core message that we proclaim week in and week out is good news, good news of God's grace, salvation. But you don't know what salvation is. You don't understand why we need to be saved if you don't know that the it begins with a word in one sense of condemnation. It's bad news that we are enslaved in sin, that we are doomed to uh, an eternity apart from God if we do not have something, someone to rescue us, someone to save us. In one sense, it's always how the word of the Lord works, bad news before good. And unlike Eli, I can say to you with confidence, there is a sacrifice that is left for your sin. We're going to get to that. But the real focus of application here, if anyone is going to take warning from this passage, it has to be on the leadership. Le leaders like me and others, pastors, evangelists, leaders in the church as in chapter 2, because this says God's judgment will not spare us if we have been unfaithful, if we've been misleading God's people. And perhaps today, that's maybe more the problem we should be focusing on. Yes, there's, there's wickedness in our world. That's, in one sense, not new. We might, might feel like there's more or the problems are deeper in our, our specific country, our specific context. That could be true. There's always been wickedness in the world. Perhaps there needs to be a refining of the church before God deals with the culture the way we want him to. 
Or in the words of 1 Peter 4.17, it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. That's a hard word. Uh, that, that's, eh, and you can understand how I might be a, uh, afraid to say that, afraid to, a little tentative and kind of pushing into where our sins are. It's easy to talk about the sins of the world, all those people out there, oh, they're, they're crazy, they're, they're doing all kinds of stuff that are, that are just against God's word, but a little harder to talk about the sins that we're guilty of. It's easy to maybe hide some of those things, not say everything. Um, you know, it's easy for pastors, preachers to be afraid. I pray that I'm closer to Samuel than to Hophni and Phinehas, but I have to ask myself, not only am I listening to God, but am, am I afraid to confront those who have corrupted the ministry? Am I afraid to speak about the coming judgment that I will, that, that's going to fall even on those who have claimed Christ but have blasphemed him? That's the reality. As God's people, do you, do you want me to be faithful to all that God has said, not leaving anything out? It's no easy task to speak the word of the Lord faithfully and fearlessly. And I'll say, I am thankful that I... I not infrequently have some of you come to me and encourage me in that same way, either thanking me when you felt like, oh, you were faithful today, you, you, you gave us everything that God's Word had for us, or encouraging me to say, hey, don't hold back, you gotta, you gotta hold on to the Word. Not that, hopefully not that you think I'm slipping, but that just, you know, it's, a, it's not, it's an easy job, excuse me, it's a hard job, it's an easy thing to slide away from. So encourage you with me, Let's press in to make the word of the Lord known, the word of the Lord known faithfully and fearlessly. Let's read the last few verses of the chapter again. Verse 19. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. This is part four. A new prophet. Do you know the Lord through the word he gave to reveal himself to us? Do you know the Lord through the word he gave to reveal himself to us? So much in these last few verses. Verse 19 tells us that from this, that, well, that this nighttime visit from God to Samuel was not a one and done thing. From then on, as Samuel continued to grow, the Lord was with him. And you, we know uh, from the New Testament, if you are truly saved, truly born again, the scriptures assure us that the Spirit is in you. He is with you. He doesn't come and go. And yet, Paul reminds us in the New Testament that we need to be filled with with the Spirit. And I think that's closer to this idea here in verse 19. The Lord was with him in such a way that it was evident in every word that Samuel spoke. None of his words fell to the ground. No sermon fell flat. No counsel was eh, a little off target. No words of leadership had a tinge of ego. No. Why? Because the Lord was with him. Wouldn't we want to know the Lord in that way, to have the Lord be with us filled with his spirit in that way. In Samuel's day, he was 
a, a one-of-a-kind prophet after a famine of hearing the word of the Lord. From, when it says from Dan to Beersheba, those are two place names in Israel. It's like us saying from New York to L.A., the whole country. Now, Dan and Beersheba, a little different. It's north and south. We could say from Duluth to El Paso, just doesn't have quite the same ring as from New York to L.A. So, but this is, that's what it's saying. The whole place, the, all over, everywhere, they knew he was the man that spoke for God. Everyone knew Samuel was not just another religious leader. He was God's spokesman, his representative, his messenger. And 21 wraps up that little thing that I was saying before about word and vision in verse 1. It's actually been sprinkled throughout this passage. I don't know if you have noticed. The, uh, verse 7, the word of the Lord had not been, yet been revealed. So there was something of like seeing God's word, um, seeing the message, or God begins his speech in verse 11 with, behold, like, look at what I'm about to tell you. I'm telling you this, you need to see it. Or Samuel in, in verse 15, he's afraid to tell Eli the vision. It's something that he saw, obviously he also heard the Lord speaking, uh, and it can be passed on. Samuel just didn't have this like, whoa, God showed up in the middle of the night and I saw this bright light and I can't explain it. it just, I just felt his presence. Like, no, it was, it was more than that. There was something, there was a, an experiential aspect, there was a visual aspect, but it, there, was, there was something to be spoken, something to be communicated. In Deuteronomy 18, well, excuse me, no, I gotta say it ties up then in verse 21. The Lord appeared, visual, revealed himself, that that's, also seems visual, but it's also that he might be known. And how does he do it? By the word of the Lord. By the word that he communicates to us. In Deuteronomy 18, Moses told Israel that the Lord would raise up another prophet, another prophet like Moses. And Samuel is the first named prophet since Moses in the scriptures. And in light of his ministry to all Israel, it is said that that Samuel could fulfill this. Samuel would be the one who would not only communicate the word, the message, the, the, the letters and sentences, but by proclaiming God's word, he would make God known to his people. He would renew and strengthen and deepen their covenant relationship. It's not about commu- just about communication or even content. It's about relationship. It's about knowing him. Now, of course, there were many more prophets after Samuel, people like Elijah and Isaiah, but no prophet could reveal the Lord like Jesus, the Word, the Word made flesh. Jesus faithfully, fearlessly spoke the Word He was given. John twelve forty nine. Jesus said, "'For I have not spoken on my own authority.'" But the Father who sent me has give, himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. That's, he, he's the prophet. He's a prophet. We saw last week he's a priest. He is the coming king. Jesus revealed God better than any vision because he was God. John 14, 9, Jesus said, Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. The word and the vision to reveal God, so that he may be known. So the first thing we have to ask, do you know the Lord through the word he gave to reveal himself to us? Ultimately, that's, we could just shorthand that. Do you, have, you, have you met Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Have you heard Jesus? The words that he gave us from his Father. If you, Jesus came so that we might know him and through him 
Father, Son, Spirit, to know God. That's why Jesus came. This is eternal life, that we know Him. That's what He came to do. You might say, well, I, I would really like a vision. I would like to have this uh, you know, experience where I, I'm waking in the middle of the night and there's a voice calling my name. And Why doesn't God do that for me? Now, I, if you're expecting me to say, well, sorry, he doesn't do that anymore, but at least we have the Bible, that, that's true. That, that's, that's true, and I, I want to lean into that for sure. We need to understand that God has sent, you know, after Samuel, many prophets, Christ as the ultimate word. I mean, what word comes after him? In one sense, in one sense, no other word needs to be spoken. We have the word. We have the revelation of who Christ is. We have Christ's words here with us. And yet, there, I know that there are visions. Not because I can tell you today that I had one. Oh, last night, by the way, I was awakened. No, that, that, that was Katie. It was, it was not the Lord. It was not the Lord. But I have heard more than one reputable missionary tell how many, many times they hear of people in the Muslim world in particular having a vision of Jesus. But here's the curious part about that. It's typically not that vision that makes them a believer in Jesus. One missionary I heard just recently said, there's never been, of all the stories he's heard about Muslims getting a vision of Jesus and then coming to faith in Christ, that vision was not just, I'm Jesus, believe in me. It was, I'm Jesus. Or they'd simply, or those persons simply knew it was Jesus and they were sent either to the scriptures or to another believer who could guide them to the gospel and the way of faith. Now, that's just what, that's just what I've heard. That's what I've been told by reputable, multiple reputable missionaries. And that is, that if that encourages you to say, okay, um, we're not limiting God to just the book. That's not, at first, that's not, this, if this is his word, folks, this is not just a book. But he works in the word and in vision to reveal himself through the word. Verse 21. Through the word, Jesus, through the word, scriptures. It's not enough to say that Jesus was the ultimate prophet. No, we, we can do that. And in one sense, because he's the ultimate prophet, there's nothing, there's no more revelation needed in one sense. But hear me say, we are now called. We are now called by the word that we've been given to display Christ. In some sense, I know there's all kinds of you know, debate and Christians differ on whether prophecy, uh, what does that look like today? Uh, can there be prophets? Do people prophesy? And what, sent, what does that even mean? Is it, it's not the same as, as uh, those who are writing down Scripture, but what, how does that work? Well, just hear, hear this from the Acts of the Apostles, from Acts chapter 3. And I want to tie this together before we close. Acts 3, Peter uh, quotes... And he says, Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed 
these days. Speaking of the early days of Acts, the early days of the church, the early days of the, of the gospel going forward to the world and the spirit coming to live in God's people. And, and what was taking place in those moments? All God's people were speaking his praise. All God's people were announcing the good news. All God's people were speaking God's word to one another and to the world. Folks, that's our hope today. See, 1 Samuel ends with Israel being in a completely different place than what it was at the beginning of the chapter. At the beginning of the chapter, the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. The people, by and large, didn't want to hear from him. Some of them were faithful, and yet, and they too were living in this, this famine of the word of the Lord, and yet they're struggling on faithfully. But the end, by the end of the chapter, we see that God was not going to remain withdrawn. He will make himself known through his word, through his prophet Samuel in those days. He will make himself known through his word, Jesus, in an ultimate sense, and through us making Jesus known. He is not going to leave this world without a witness. He's called us whether you think of yourself as a prophet or not, whether you have a special uh, visitation from God in the middle of the night calling you to some kind of ministry, I, I don't know. But you have the Spirit and you have the Word for a reason. He's left you here. And could we pray that the Lord would be with us and let none of our words fall to the ground? Parents trying to bring up your kids to know the Lord. No words coming out of your mouth that are too sharp or too sarcastic. No words that get an eye roll or an argument. Oh, could we, could we pray God for that? Oh, trying to share the gospel at school or at work. No words that you sort of mumbled, stumbled through. No words that seem to bounce off of hardened hearts. Pastors and teachers, all of our sermons and lessons and small group materials. Oh God, would you let our words not just fall flat to land with a thud. God, would you help drive these words home to land in people's hearts in a way that, so that we know you better. That's what you want. That's what you want your word to do so that we can not only hear and think about words, but to see and know the living God. Could we pray that all believers, all of us together, whether or not you have a, a particular ministry of teaching or, or preaching or proclaiming all believers, that our prayers that are words of encouragement, that are witness to the world. Lord, be with us and let none of our words, let none of your words fall to the ground. God, it's gonna, the only way for that to happen is for him to be with us. Might we, might we have to live through another stretch of, of, of darkness and rarity of the word? Well, in one sense, we, we've got, we've got, it's all around us. It's, it's within us. And yet, are we living in a time where God just isn't seen? I don't know. I don't know how long that's going to last. I can, I can tell you from 1 Samuel 3, it will not last forever. And if the next thing in God's plan is judgment, final judgment, so be it. But if he so chooses to delay his final judgment a little longer to give us another opportunity for people to repent, as Second as Peter says. He's not slow. He's waiting for people to turn. If, if he's going to do it once again, wouldn't we want to be a part of that? 
Oh, Lord, be with us and let none of our words, let none of your words fall to the ground. Let's pray that way. Oh, God. Oh, God, I pray that you would help us. If we are here today and we have... If there's someone here that has assumed, well, I haven't heard from God, so I guess he just doesn't exist or he doesn't care. God, I pray that that you are breaking through. Whether you are tapping someone on the shoulder, whether whether someone might say later, I, I don't know, but at the end of that, that service, I was like, I, could, I couldn't hear it, but I, I could hear it. I could hear God calling me. God, if, if you would be so pleased to do that today, oh, we would praise you. And for the people here who, are, who have come here believing in your word, trusting and yet despairing for the state of our culture, of our world, God, would you remind us that, that you're not gonna, you won't hold back forever. You're going to come either in judgment or in salvation. Would you come in salvation today? Would you come in salvation for our generation? Would you be with us? Yes, we want to hear from you as your servant, but Lord, we, we pray that you'd send us out as your servant as well with your words. Help us to be faithful and fearless as we make you known. In Jesus' name, amen.